I actually think some of these questions intersect very directly with my discipline, which is epidemiology, around this fundamental question of why do bad things happen to people who have been good and nice, and to whom, when we look at them, we think that shouldn't have happened to that person. This is Culture at a Crossroads with David Mann. Welcome back to the show that explores the intersection of faith and culture in Canada. Our program features two guests today, and this is fair warning that we will be in the COVID realm, okay? But we're going to approach it from a couple of unique angles, so I hope you will indulge with me. We're going to get to David Fisman, one of our country's most respected epidemiologists who studies diseases. Don't miss his thoughts on the parallels between faith and science. But first, we begin with a molecular scientist whose English is a little muddied at times, so do listen carefully. Igor Shisteri works in the lab at McGill University in Montreal. Originally, you came from Brazil, and what you saw there in terms of poverty and some of the diseases that are probably more rampant than in North America, that really hasn't left you in your work, has it? No, it hasn't, and it has been really one of the main motivations trying to address some of the issues that we had. I remember when I was going to um, college and then deciding what to do, I was really uh, attracted. There was quite a lot of things happening at the time, right? So in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, we had quite a lot of attention to ecology going on and a lot of the genomics with the genome sequencing and all that going on. At the time, I was really inclined to, to go uh, and work on ecology and looking what I had around, you know, you, you mentioned, right, you had poverty and you have an environment that in some degree being degraded, uh, destroyed, and you have um, trash on the streets and diseases, infectious diseases. So I was uh, really motivated by what I had around in some degree. Yeah. And we both have a connection to the Chagas disease that was first named in Brazil. And I saw it up close and personal in Bolivia. About 10 years ago, I did a project through uh, my church, and this is one of the diseases that you're actively working on being able to better treat as it remains untreated thanks to the mRNA. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Exactly. So uh, I can step back a little bit more. Chagas disease, uh, together with many other infectious diseases, this is caused by uh, parasites that uh, they are transmitted by insects. They are quite common in places like Brazil, Bolivia, tropical regions, because the weather, it, it's prime to grow and, and, and develop. Now, dengue is one of them as well. So growing up in Brazil, Chagas was really a common disease that, that would be present. You know, you would hear someone that died from Chagas disease, someone that has Chagas disease was not uncommon part of the life as, as you grow up, right? It was discovered in Brazil by a person called Chagas um, in the early 1900s. With that, they created an institute, actually several institutes across the country that's part of the Oswald Cruz Foundation. They Part of that institute works on Chagas disease and was really inspiring to have, to be in a place where there is a scientist that discovered the disease and there was a lot of... Um, um, pride over that aspect, right? They described all the aspects of the disease. Um, you had in some degree someone to look, you know, and, 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 and say, well, I want to be like that. So that was motivating two aspects. One, because you know that is a real problem surrounding you, but you also know 
that is uh, something to look after um, as an example of how to try to deal with the problem. So I, I, I've been out of Brazil for, for many years. I work here in Canada now, but my, much of my research is on Chagas disease. We have a project in which we are trying to uh, develop vaccines for Chagas disease. The, the initial idea now is to identify uh, candidates for vaccines. One of the problems when you are trying to develop a vaccine is that you don't know where to start, which usually for the vaccine you want to introduce in the body something that will induce an immune response that prepares us for um, defending us against an infection, right? So the body is already primed, have had seen parts of that uh, organism, microorganisms, so that when it enter your body, so you already priming against them. So the role of Moderna coming to your question is that what Moderna put it in place is, was just to tell us in a hurry to make vaccines, we needed to, to be smart and, and use a less traditional way. And it, this just may pay back. Uh, they took a path that was not the mainstream at the time. They were very successful. It proved that safe. It proved that it worked. And with this collaboration, that this partnership that they are making available, uh, in which McGill is involved, is to explore and they, you know create a partnership with them to explore these two additional diseases. When people thought about vaccines, they always thought about either the whole organism you can introduce the whole organism, but it, we call it uh, attenuated, modified so that you know um, it doesn't really cause disease. But your immune system recognizes and creates the protection that it needs. Okay, it's sufficient to prime, but the organism, the, the, the immune system, but will not cause disease. Then uh, another way to do is to take parts of the organism, like proteins. Our immune system will recognize those proteins and we create an immune response. Now the RNA is the molecule that we never thought would work. No one felt that RNA would be a good idea because you put that in the body that would be degraded forget it, we will not get an immune response. DNA was one that we thought it's more stable, but there was always a fear of potential recombination, integration to the genome, modification of the organism, right? So there was that. that's why it took so, so long to people to accept the mRNA vaccine. So what it does, um, it's a molecule that we get into the, the cells, and uh, through that, molecule has a, a code that the organism used to make proteins and that's and the proteins is uh, the proteins are what the organism the immune system recognize and we produce the responses required for defense the fact is production of mrna is is very easy okay Produc production of a protein is a lot more complicated and that would be other bacteria yeast another organism that you produce that in large amounts you have to purify the protein, so that there are many steps involved. Now, the RNA we can produce in vitro, we can just synthesize in vitro. That's fast, that's cheaper, and, um, and, and we know how to do that, right? We know how to do that quite well. So we cut a lot of the steps in which would not involve growing large liters and liters of an organism, okay, like a bacteria or a fungi, um, to purify, the, go through the process of protein purification, make sure that's really clean, that is no other proteins involved or contaminants, then uh, take that material and then introduce in, in, in an in organism to create an immune response. Now, the RNA, you in a, in a tube, you go synthesize that molecule, take that molecule, 
uh, introduced in the organism and that really causes immune response. So in, in terms of cancer, what I see in the future is probably the application of mRNAs uh, as a therapeutic vaccine. How we got to this place with Moderna and BioNTech and CureTech sort of making their their findings available, uh, it's certainly a different point in time. Earlier, at the height of this pandemic, there was a little backlash against these these companies for the profits that they were making and wanted to keep a patent on this. Beyond them being able to make a bit of profit if something's developed, what do you think's changed as far as uh, this moment in time? Uh, the first thing is that the, the technology was uh, was there, right? People were already playing with that, but there was not much trust uh, whether this was safe and whether this would be effective. So Moderna has a lot of credits on taking this and showing everybody that, hey, it works and took uh, opportunity of a situation that we need a, a fast response, okay? And they were there, they were ready for this fast response and capitalize on that. Now, um, with that came, in my opinion, uh, a lot of profit, right? A lot of money and gave the company, let's just take a moment here. This is myself speaking. I have nothing to do with Moderna. I work at McGill. I don't work at Moderna. I do not know. I'm not talking uh, on behalf of Moderna, okay? But from my point of view, I think they, they make quite a lot of a profit of an unfortunate event. And I think that they want to step in and, and, and uh, you know, probably they have too much cash that can be used to invest in other areas and, and perhaps uh, take this back a little bit to, you know, try to advance vaccines to other diseases and, and help mm. people as well. I think that they have, uh, uh, they are in a good position uh, to make investments and I, I'm pleased that they are making investments, they are willing let's say, to make investment uh, that will help populations that are afflicted by infectious diseases, right? Because they are less profitable than those affected by cancer, HIV, or all the diseases. Just in closing, Igor, uh, we chatted off the record about your personal subscription to religion of the Baha'i faith. How does that play a role in, in allowing you to do your work with the hope in mind of, of helping people, how does that sort of drive you? Yeah, so, um, um, yeah, how the fact, um, uh, I, I think that, that you know, has a, a has an important role in my opinion, okay? A faith, um, your relationship with God, as a scientist, you, you know, the, the, the relationship with God is, a, is less of a faith that God will solve you the problem, it has nothing to do with that, right? But I think for me, it's more like an inspiration or a strength that it gives you to pursue that path, to believe that you are capable, that you, what you look for, right, in the long term, that, that we are not alone in this place, that you have to look for a common goal, something that is not only good for me, something that is good for people uh, in general. So when I think about a vaccine, I want a vaccine that can help people the poor people of Brazil, Colombia, Bolivia, and many other places in the world, but I also want a vaccine that's affordable, that can be assessed by people, right? That's not a profitable 
scheme, but something that will get into people's. Joining me now is Dr. David Fisman of the University of Toronto. He comes from the Dallas School of Public Health, a leading epidemiologist and a huge contributor in helping Canada fight off COVID. Thanks for coming on the program. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thanks for thanks for inviting me. David Power. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We share a we share a great name, a strong name, right? Strong name. Yeah, small but mighty, I think. So I'm really interested in chatting with you someone who's considered an expert in their field. You're also culturally Jewish. And someone who is deeply interested in a show like mine for the role of faith in science. Why is that? Look, we're very focused at the moment on people's physical health, right? But the WHO definition of health explicitly states that health is about more than the absence of disease, right? It's about economic spiritual, I think they have the word spiritual, social, and physical well-being, right? So health is very broad. And we're, you know, we can, we can eliminate or, or eradicate disease in a society and still not be a healthy society. And I'm, I'm Jewish, I'm not religious, but I would regard myself as, as a spiritual person and I think spirituality is part of health, you know, understanding. To me, spirituality is really more or less, just as in epidemiology, we stand on the shoulders of people who have gone before us, right? So when we're modeling the epidemic right now, one of the tools we use was something that was come up with by a guy named William Farr in the 1900s or in the 1800s rather, 19th century. And, you know, it gives us a head start because he thought through these problems and he's sort of, you know, I'll never meet William Farr because he's long dead, but he's handed this thing down that allows me to understand epidemics in an interesting way. And I can use that as a starting point. Hmm. Remembering where you came from, right. You know, although, as I say, I, I regard myself as a spiritual person, but not necessarily a religious person, I think organized religions are an attempt to do that, to take, you know, answers that people have been able to come up with to big questions, you know, these fundamental issues about right and wrong, fairness and unfairness, and um, sort of hand them down. And, you know, whether your text is, is the Bible or it's the Quran or it's, the, you know, the Torah, I think you know, what that is, is that's other people reaching out to you over time and saying, you know, we, we struggled with this stuff too. Here's what we thought we learned about what makes a person a good person and what makes a life a good life and how you become fulfilled and how you deal with unfairness. And I would actually go a little bit further than that. I actually, something to mention to you is I actually think some of these questions intersect very directly with my discipline, which is epidemiology, around this fundamental question of why do bad things happen to people who have been good and nice, and to whom, when we look at them, we think that shouldn't have happened to that person. How do we, and I, and I think that's a, that's a huge question in all religions, you know, it's something we all struggle with is, why? I mean, this is the book of Job. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I must, sorry, I, I, that, that's actually Christian that I started to, is Christian scripture, I think, I'm crossing my wires. 
but you, you know, I think I think Job is, you know, you know, God, why have you forsaken me? Um, and and you know, you see that in the the story of, of Jesus Christ as well. You know, you, here's this here's this very good. I don't want to say person, you know, person who's also a deity, to whom you know he says good things, and as a result of these good things that you know have carried down for two thousand and some years, bad things happen to him, and unfair things happen to him, and that's very much not to not to be reductive about this, but I think that's very much the impulse that we have as health researchers too. If we study the patterns of bad things happening to people. We can learn why they happen, and we can try to come up with solutions. So, there's a book by um, a guy named Thornton Wilder, who people mostly re- remember as a playwright, called *The Bridge of San Luis Rey*, that I used to use for my intro epi class. Um, and *The Bridge of San Luis Rey*, it, it's all about the, the 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 setup is about Inca bridges. So there there are these things in South America. I've never seen one for real. I've seen pictures. These bridges between these very high mountains in the Andes called Inca bridges, and they're made with grass rope and wood slats. And they span gorges that are, you know, a kilometer deep. And the story that's told is set in the 18th century in um, in Lima, Peru, during the Inquisition. And there's a, a, a monk named Brother Juniper who's been out in the mountains converting converting the indigenous people to Christianity. Okay? And he's walking down the path towards Lima, Peru. And um, he sees the Bridge of San Luis Rey, which I think has you know, been swinging there for 100 years, right? And as Brother Juniper comes around the corner, the bridge snaps, right? And all the people who are on the bridge... <laughs> you know, fall fall to their deaths. It's a long way down. There are no no parachutes are sighted. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a lethal event. And so there are 11 people, as it says in the book, on the bridge, you know, just as, as Brother Juniper's coming around the corner. And, um, you know, he takes this as a sign from God. He says, you know, he had this sudden revelation that, that God has basically re- shown him his cards, and all Brother Juniper now has to do, having seen this event, you know, is study the lives of those 11 people and find out what it was about them that led, led God to, you know, to end their lives right then. You know, the, this sort of this revelation. And, <laughs> the, you know, so, so the rest of the book is sort of um, the stories of these individuals. And all, each, of the, each of the stories ends with a person going, oh, look at the time. I got to get to that bridge. I got to get out of town. And you, you know how it's going to end. It's going to end the way the book began with them crossing the bridge and falling to their deaths. But what's, what's neat is that with Brother Juniper, each of these stories, you know, one person is a really good person. And you can think, oh, you know, they're a good person. God's bringing them home. One person is a bad person. <laughs> so you think, oh, you know, God's punishing them. One person's a young person. And you think, oh, you know, you know, God's bringing them home. One person's an old person, lived a long life. And you can think of these stories about each of these people in terms of why this probably random event happened. Bad things happen. We see bad things happen. We have, I think, a, a very deep, rooted impulse to try to understand why because it seems unfair and i think you know i think faith and science at least my my 
discipline in science, but I think a lot of the social sciences are like this. The enterprise is about trying to understand, you know, why and process. And in my particular discipline in public health, what we try to do with that information is if we figure out a causal relationship, well, that's the best. Because if we figure out what caused what, then we can sometimes take away the cause and then we change the outcome. It's almost like, you know, we split off into a parallel universe. Mm, so interesting. In terms of your field and, and what you've studied and sort of as you've wrestled with these questions, just like I have and just like a lot of my listeners will have, do you come back to thinking that, that God is sovereign, that there is sovereignty and, and that things aren't random? Or how have you sort of come to terms with, with that idea? You know, I, I feel, uh, I, I, I like the Einstein quote, my sense of God is my sense of wonder about the universe. For me, that that is, I... I, I <laughs> I am very aware of my position as a tiny little, you know, one in one of eight billion characters on this very small speck of a planet in a very large universe that somehow got here and we don't know how and we don't know if there are more of them and we don't know where it's going. And I think these are, you know, these are these fundamental, fundamental questions in our tiny little world, you know, there's wonder at every level. I mean, you know, I don't like coronaviruses, but you look at this thing and the architecture and the, be the beauty of it, you know, the, the, the amazing geometry. Um, I, 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 think, I think in my world, and we also, with emerging infectious diseases, we keep encountering these incredibly complex webs of life, how creatures are interacting with uh, with other creatures. So I think, you know, it's hard not to be struck by the wonder of that. So I think in that sense, I, I do have a very strong sense of wonder about, you know, how all this stuff comes together and what our role is in it and what our origins are and where we go. We are going to have to leave it at that, but so interesting seeing the beauty of the world through a virus. What a perspective to take. I do hope that this special multi-guest show has been insightful for you. Do check out the Culture at a Crossroads archive over at davidmanmedia.com slash podcast or anywhere where you listen to podcasts. And we do invite you back next week as we once again explore the intersection of faith and culture in Canada, helping to better equip you in following Jesus. 